V-O-P-P, the greatest podcast in the galaxy. We're here again. It's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a dope pod to step to. This is the OPP, the greatest podcast in the galaxy. Today, we have a very special guest, a friend of mine from high school. We've been friends for 25 years. He and I are super, super tight. He is the master, I call him the master of emotion. You have some friends that are super smart, super book smart, can learn things and pick things up very fast. He does this. He's always been able to do this at an emotional level. On top of that, he is an incredible storyteller. Who is this guy? He is the proprietor of the Chair of Despair. He is the Jewish juggernaut. He is the Hebrew hammer. Let me introduce you guys, ladies and gentlemen, to my friend, to my pal, the Vanilla Gorilla. Hello. <laughs> Check one, two. You, you want to introduce yourself? Hey, I am Anonymous. Nice. My name is A Squared. <laughs> so we're going to do a little bit different than we, we usually I do. fucking it. hate this. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna, first of all, I just want to say I don't want to fucking be here. That's the first thing. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to be the worst fucking person to get asked questions. The worst, I love it. Are are we recording yet? Yeah, of course. All right, well, secondly, I'm going to announce myself like this. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Uh. he's been diagnosed (laughs) with multiple personality disorders, OCD, ADHD, and PTSD. The man has more letters uh, than two alphabets combined. Um, and he is at best mentally unstable. So at worst, what? at worst, he should be shot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, we're gonna do it a little different today. Oh so yeah, yeah. So this is we're gonna call this question and answer. Fuck face and McGillicuddy. <laughs> <laughs> going nowhere quickly you think you're gonna get answers from me oh my oh, god but, but you'll be surprised. but you'll be surprised i've brought the machine with me <laughs> i'm gonna i'm gonna set you up here we and go. shock you every time you don't answer this is how it's gonna work though I'm, all right i'm gonna ask the question yeah i'm gonna answer the question okay. and then you're gonna answer the question oh okay so first question how many Running man's, do you think you've done in your entire life? <laughs> and my answer to that is approximately 3,500. For you or for me? For you. Oh my God. I honestly can tell you, I don't know if I can count that high. <laughs> I mean, between 1987 and 1989, it was the only dance move that I knew. Uh, and I thought in my mind that I knew like 46 different dance moves, <laughs> like for real, but I would only do the running man. 
So I would constantly like in my head tell myself that I'm going to go into something else, but I would only do the running man. <laughs> it was the same thing. Like I would either do the running man to the left, to the middle, oh. or to the right. I would try to do a reverse running man. I was never really good at that. So yeah, I would say if the number's 3,500, I would go with like double that. <laughs> I would say I've done at least 7,000 running man. <laughs> Right. I love that you have a piece of paper with nothing written on it and you're pretending like you're actually going to write No, this questions. is actually for, because what always happens when we do these pods is stuff comes in my head. And you have to write it down. Yeah. I'm not like you, right? I'm like, oh, I'll remember. It's no sweat, no sweat. And then two minutes later, I'm like, what was that? It was uh, going to be great. Yeah, you don't have a retarded brain like I do. Exactly. Exactly. Next question. <laughs> What's your favorite memory of your father? And I'll answer first. I didn't know him, but the Wait, one... Hold on. This stinks. You're going to fucking ask me questions and answer the question for me? No, no. We're both going to have different answers. I know, but why are you answering first? Because I, I want to tell my version, too. Why are we doing it like this? Because you feel... You, you answer it, then. Yeah, what, but I don't understand what the theory behind this is. Because there this is, is no different. Theory. You just want to do it like this? Yeah. All right. Go ahead. My favorite memory of you telling me about him is him waking you up early in the morning and being like, let's go for a ride. And grabbing you and throwing you in the Porsche and going on the Pulaski Skyway at 130 miles an hour. Yes, that is one of my favorite memories as well. Uh, later on, we learned the reason that he was doing that was because he was so high on cocaine mm. that he couldn't sleep and he needed to drive at 130 miles per hour to try and come down a little bit. Um, that I didn't know. I just thought he was a fun guy and liked mm -hmm. to drive fast. Um, you know what? <sighs> Interestingly enough, the day, for whatever reason, when someone has either asked me about my father or asked me about my favorite memories, because I've had conversations with you and other friends about that, for whatever reason, my brain defaults to the day that he died. And I don't know if it's because it was the last time I saw him, but the day that he died, we decided to... Um, we would ride our bikes all the time and I was about nine years old and I was really into soccer at the time. And we rode our bikes down to the Columbia High School parking lot and I remember I carried my soccer ball and we played soccer on our bikes. It was like the first time, you know, like we... Like a jack. We like, we, we, we combined the two, exactly. <laughs> So we like put the ball down and we stayed on the bikes and we were kicking it to And so that, that was like an amazing memory, you know, because it was the awesome. last time I did something fun with him. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that wow. sticks in my brain. Mm -hmm. We'll come back to that. Um, no, we're not. That's it. Okay. That's, that's it. All we're, right. We're not going to be discussing any more of that. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma Muriel. Muriel. Is this my? Yeah, are yeah, we good? good. Are we, yeah, you're good. Ladies and gentlemen, hello. Okay. Mine is uh, eating chicken in the subway, <laughs> and how she would have chicken for oh, you. Man, that's a tough one. My favorite. Yeah. My favorite memory of my grandma. Yeah. Oh, so to be clear, 
you used to ride on the subway with your grandmother, she would open up her purse and there would be uh, fried chicken in there. And she would also have, she was uh, thought enough about it where she put a paper towel, wet paper towel as well in there. So, so that she would so, wash yeah. her hands. So, before... so there's the funniness of the fried chicken, eating that on the subway out of a purse. And then there's also the, the grandma care, you know, like wash your hands, make sure you're clean afterwards, you know. So my grandmother taught me about humility and taught me how to be um, a loving, good person and someone who's a giving person. Um, and it was through her actions, not through her words. Um, and one of the things that she would do is actually it was roasted chicken. <laughs> so it wasn't fried. She would roast the chicken. And um, she would also make a tuna fish sandwich. And so she, I never liked tuna. My sister did. So she would take us into Manhattan on the subways in the 80s. Um, and, you know, this was before you could, like, you know, you weren't stopping to buy food with the kids. It was too expensive. So you made your lunch for the day and you packed it. Well, she would make a tuna fish sandwich and roast chicken legs, and then she would take um, four chicken legs, wrap them in cellophane, and put them in her purse, and then put the tuna fish sandwich in, and then she would take a washcloth, and she would wet the washcloth, and then she would take a Ziploc bag, and open up the Ziploc bag, and put water into the Ziploc bag. So the Ziploc bag would have like half filled with water, and she would put the washcloth in and seal it. Now, this is before you could buy wet wipes. There was no such thing as a wet wipe. Right. You, you couldn't buy a bottle of water, and you could not buy wet wipes. They did not exist. Water came from the water fountain, and if you wanted to wash your hands, you had to go to the sink and wash your hands. So she made her own wet wipes and put a washcloth into a Ziploc bag, and it was like ingenious because we would be on the road in the subway, you know, going to where we we're going. You know, we're hungry, cranky. She'd break out the chicken legs. Boom, you're eating the chicken legs. My sister's eating the tuna fish sandwich. We got shit all over our face. And she would open up the Ziploc bag with the washcloth and wash us down. It was like ingenious. Um, that is, that's one of my favorite um memories and is but there, is there no shame but, though like you're on the you're on the train like for me if my mother was doing that i'd be like come on do you have to pull the chicken out in front of everybody and then wash my face i just i i hear you i think i think my family was all about doing embarrassing things <laughs> and not understanding that they were socially unacceptable like so so my grandmother had this amazing ability to be extremely kind to people, but she was able to get whatever she wanted out of them. And it was, it was from growing up in Brooklyn and coming from immigrant parents and having to survive in a, in a, in a hostile environment that taught her that, you know, sugar is better than vinegar, right? Um, and, and now Brooklyn doesn't work that way, right? Like they're like, we're going to throw vinegar at you until you burn. But she realized that she could get much further with sugar. So 
she would be able to go into any establishment and like literally nice her way into whatever she needed. Um, so here's one of my examples mm -hmm. and favorite memories of her. Um, we went to a restaurant. It was for my mother's birthday. And we had like 10 people waiting. And the wait was probably an hour. There was a long line at the restaurant. It was like a well-known restaurant in Brooklyn. And my grandmother was impatient and she mm -hmm. did not want us to wait because it was her daughter's birthday and she wanted us all to sit. So she grabbed my hand and she looked at me and she said, I want you to look sick right now. Pretend that you're sick. And I was like, what? And she's like, I want you to look sick. And she grabbed my hand. She, I must have been like, maybe like, like six or seven years old, if I remember correctly. And she walks me up to the maitre d' and she, with like, literally like, I'm talking Oscar-worthy acting, looked this man in his face and said, my grandson is diabetic. <laughs> if he doesn't sit down immediately and eat, he's going to go into shock. And I'm looking at my grandmother like, I'm not diabetic. <laughs> Although I am a fat child, I am not diabetic, Graham. I didn't even know what diabetic was, but I knew I was not that. You know, I'm not diabetic. And uh, don't you know, bro, she got wow. us in in like three minutes. I mean, that guy cleared a table, had 10 people sitting, had bread in front of me with butter. And, it, you know, it was amazing. That's so good. Yeah. That's she was awesome. an amazing person, man. She was, yeah. she was like extremely, extremely mindful of everybody else around her, but would be so gangster to help the person out. Mm. Like, like she was the type of person where she would be, she would give you the shirt off her back because you were freezing. But if this guy was being an asshole next to her, she'd stab him to take his sweater to make sure that you were warm. And, and that is like... That sounds very familiar. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah. there's something like super comforting about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's very familiar. Yeah, so... But, but an, uh, another... You know, just a, a quick note, because I don't want to make my grandmother look out, look like a Russian gangster, you know. <laughs> Ukrainian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mean, when you see the woman, she was like, what, maybe 5'1", maybe 95 pounds? Oh, yeah. I mean, 95 pounds with all her shopping bags and... <laughs> yeah, and the fried chicken. And, and a fur coat. <laughs> exactly. I mean, she was a very frail, tiny, skinny woman. Tiny, yeah. Yeah. But but so caring, man. She yeah. she would knit. Um, she would take me to Bloomingdale's, and the sweaters that my mother wanted were like six hundred dollars, and no one could afford them then. So what she would do is she would go to she'd take me to Bloomingdale's, and she would measure the sweaters. Wow! I ever tell you this wow. one? Wow! This shit's amazing. Wow! So she would stand in the department store with a ruler and a notebook. And she would measure the designs on the sweaters. And the saleswomen would come up to her and be like, excuse me, can I help you? And she'd say, no, I'm okay. 
And so she would measure all the designs on the sweater, like to the centimeter, you know, like the triangle starts here, Whoa. goes to this point, starts here, goes to this point. It's this amount of, of material. It's this color. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, she would go to the knitting store and then buy yarn that was the same color as the sweaters. And then she would spend like a month knitting my mom that sweater. Unbelievable. But every time we would go to the knitting store, she would always buy extra yarn. And we would drive it to this old lady that loved knitting that couldn't get out anymore. Wow. And she would pay for the yarn. And we would drive to this woman's apartment. And we would spend like an hour with her and she would just drop off the, the yarn to her. And this woman was like, I mean, you, you've never seen someone so thankful. Mm -hmm. And the way my grandmother did it, it wasn't with any want for thanks. She wasn't looking for someone to thank her. She was doing it solely because she wanted to bring this woman yarn Knitting gave her this amazing joy, and she wanted to spread the joy and help this woman be happy. Um, like the, a real human experience, yeah. man. Wow. Like what, what, what the human experience should is right. and should be. Mm -hmm. You know, we mm -hmm. run around this earth doing for ourselves. Yep. You know, everyone's into what they do. When you take that moment out of your day and do a little something for someone else, that's the human experience. She did that every day. Mm. That was like her life. She was like, you know, she was like a, a saint, man, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. She always made sure everyone was okay. Wow. Yeah. She's an amazing person. Yeah. yeah Muriel yeah. Silver. <laughs> the one and only gangster. She she was man. <laughs> Dude, I remember when she got really old, she fell down the stairs and she had two black eyes and we went over there for like dinner one night and she was wearing sunglasses. <laughs> and she didn't want to tell anyone that she'd fallen down the yeah, stairs. Super prideful. So she just sat there with sunglasses on at the table <laughs> with two black eyes. And we were like, what happened? She was like, nothing, nothing. My <laughs> eyes are sensitive. We're like, Graham, your eyes aren't sensitive. You're inside. There's no sun. What are you wearing sunglasses for? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Man. What are you, what are you, what are you <laughs> singing for you too? Right. Oh, man. How did her and your mom get along? Were they tight? No. No. I think my... I'm shocked to know that, especially as similar as they... I feel like their personalities are... They look alike. They act Not until she got older. Okay. My mom was... My mom was a very... She had a lot of anger. And she... There are certain things that get transferred through the genes. <laughs> ah, yes, certain things get passed down. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I don't. Ladies know. and gentlemen, have you ever been driving around in a truck and somebody cuts you off? And you're like, no way. And then you go in front of them and cut them off and then get out of the car and then get in their face. No. And then they're like, I'm going to call the cops on you. And you're like, I'm going to call the cops on you. Ladies and gentlemen, my, my, that's not my mother. He's talking about me. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a few things that get passed on. Uh, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree, to be honest with you. Yeah. No, she she was... Those two, they loved each other and would do anything for each other. Right. But I think for a long time, my mother just had a lot of angst and anxiety, dealt with a lot of depression and anger, um, and, and kind of let it out on my grandma. My grandma didn't understand why my mother was always angry. And I think as my grandmother got sick and my mom started to recognize her own issues and recognize um, what's really important in this life, they started to get really close. But I, I, when I was growing up, I, I don't feel like they were mm. super close. That, that was my assessment of it. Mm. Yeah, not like, you know, I've had some friends that like, you know, the mom and the daughter are like inseparable. My wife, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Tight, tight. Two peas in a pod. Two peas in a pod where yeah. like you can't, you can't separate them. So was it your grandfather that was the, because your grandmother wasn't angry. So was it your grandfather? Well, my grandfather wasn't her biological father. Oh, so right. there's a lot of anger there. So she, my my biological grandfather died when my mom was three, uh, and so my or her stepdad, my actual grandfather, uh, not my biological, but the grandfather I grew up with, he was he was um, I don't know if you could pinpoint it, but I, if I was to, I, he had to be like bipolar or something. He was manic, mm-hmm. you know he. He had a lot of ups and downs, and he was very verbally abusive to all of us. Um, and and I think that caused a lot of yeah. issues between her and 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 my mom and my grandma. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Looks like this podcast <laughs> is over. Gonna, uh, I just wanted to uh, wrap the, it up. Thanks, guys. Glad this is the shortest uh, one. <laughs> Uh, sorry. You guys know about my grandma, my dad. Didn't know we were going this hard this this early. That's the way we do. Ten forty five in the morning. That's Ten right. minutes in, we're uh, 50 we're going degrees hard. outside. That's right. Al D going hard in the paint. Come on, it can't always. Holy it can't shit! Always be the Michael, very... the fucking Michael Jordan of podcasts. <laughs> we're just gonna fucking start scoring right now. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, go. I wish you. I wish. I wish you'd be filming this. He's got a fucking. He's got a pink Lacosta shirt on. Guy looks like he's a fucking UFC fighter. <laughs> Muscles coming out of the shirt about to yeah. blast off into fucking <laughs> the atmosphere. And he's writing things down like he actually has something to say to me that means something. <laughs> All right. We almost covered your... We got your sister next. Uh, what the fuck is we this, all, bro? Uh, this isn't a podcast. This is like a fucking... What is this? A fucking it. interview? It makes him this so is a fu- I fu- Yeah, by the way, I fucking hate this. I just want to let everyone know that's going to listen to this. I fucking hate this. I don't have fucking social media. I don't have fucking... That's right. I don't have Insta-fucking-gram. Yeah. I don't have uh, Facebook. I don't need you to know my fucking life story. I just want to fucking do what I got to do and get the fuck off this earth. All right? I'm trying to be a good person without telling everybody about it. This guy's like, hey, we're going to interview you and we're going to let everybody know about your whole entire life.
There's going to be a lot of outbursts. I just want to let you guys know right now. There's going to be a lot of outbursts. Uh, I'm so uncomfortable. I love it. My fucking, my, my toes They're curled up are right curled now. around the fucking, on, on the bottom of the table. I'm gripping the this fucking feet of the table and I'm gripping Ladies and gentlemen, we have figured out who are our, our, our guest of guests who's going to be coming on the show more. <laughs> <laughs> the more uncomfortable you are, the exactly. better the guest. It's like the people that want to be on the podcast are the ones that suck. And the ones that fucking suck that don't want to be here are like the oh, best fucking guests, can right? I, can I tell you how tough I'm gonna be I'm gonna have a is. million fucking hits. Exactly what I don't want. <laughs> can I tell you how tough it is to get folks with everything, people are like Oh, that's an amazing idea. My neighbor, for example, I wanted to get him on. He's a guy who had uh, his wife passed away when his kids were like super, super young. I wanted to talk to him about his whole experience. He's like, oh, that'd be, that sounds great. It's a wonderful idea. Went to a spot the next day. Ah, uh, you know, I, uh... Bro, I hear you. Yeah, because yeah. you want to know something? It's one thing to talk about the concept of doing it. Yeah, yeah. And it's another thing to have you show up with fucking lapel mics and a fucking pink LaCosta. And you're sitting down and you start asking, So, let's talk about your sister. <laughs> <laughs> it fucking stinks. <laughs> I kind of want to turn the tables on oh, you. You're going, you're going I think to. we're going to. You know what? I think the second podcast should be me actually. Ah. Uh, you know, I'll interview you. I like And that. answer the question. Ladies and gentlemen, we have just been, we have just agreed to a second podcast. This is amazing. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't sign anything. I got two more questions for you. The first one is favorite memory of Sarah. My f yeah, that's your sister. My Are you going to edit this? This isn't going to no. be live. You're just going to throw this up? I have never edited. I've only edited one podcast, and I can't even talk about what I edited with you until we get off the podcast. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Well, this one's going to get edited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to honor some. I just want to let you know right now yeah, yeah, yeah. that there has to be, I don't know if I'm signing anything, but there has to be a clause that says I'm allowed to edit. Because, dude, I don't know what you're going to ask me. Yes, no. his pencil just fucking broke. <laughs> An omen from the gods. He just flicked his pencil. I wish this was on fucking line right now. Next because time. he flicked his pencil now and I it broke. Use, I don't have any more writing implements. Seriously, bro. Holy shit, he's going to have to use his nail of his pointer finger to write now. All right, go ahead. memory of Sarah. Your basement. Um, your basement was like, we call it like the basement of a lifetime in your mom's spot. It's like where I went. It's the first place I went away from my own house where I felt like uh, totally at home, completely at peace, completely relaxed, didn't have to worry about anything. And I remember your sister as we must have been sophomores and we were down there dicking around and your sister was down there just kind of watching us and I just remember looking at your sister and looking at that just like this look of like admiration and love on her face like I, I for who for you 
For you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that totally died like three years <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. But that's okay. one of my favorite memories of her because I know me having little sisters, there, were, there was a time when I was that for them as well. Or maybe I still am. Shout out to Priscilla. Um, to my favorite memory of my sister and me. I mean, these are like rugged questions. This isn't really like, why. Well, because I don't know. This this isn't just like an everyday. It's not. It's not easy to think about. I don't know because I'm so negative minded. I don't think about positive shit. Mm-hmm. That's exactly why we're doing it. So uh, I don't oh, think man, about. Oh man, if we had sh- if we had started it out. With so the what's the worst? worst? Oh, it would be like eight hours <laughs> exactly. on one question. <laughs> oh, you want to know about the negative side of this? Oh, no problem. Break this down. Um, fuck. Uh, I would say. I mean, it was. The day that my mom brought her home from the hospital uh, is I, that was my first memory. Is I don't really have memory before my sister being born. Wow. Yeah. Well, you were only four, right? Three and a half. Yeah. So that's pretty three, good. Three my first memories are from like five and a half. <laughs> well, yeah, it's because you were like put into a fucking African village and beat for your first five years. You don't even realize it. They had you in a fucking in a bamboo cage and fucking <laughs> <laughs> down by the river <laughs> feeding you fucking porridge. <laughs> oh shit. S- sorry guys. Sorry. It's gonna get really bad. Thank god my real name's not being used. That's right. Um yeah, the yes. first the first day I uh I saw my sister was my my one of my favorite memories wow. just because I realized that I actually had a sibling and was able to uh now share my life with someone. Fast forward forty years <laughs> later. <laughs> All right, last one up is your mother and my favorite. Oh, uh, this is gonna be impossible for me. <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, I have so God. many amazing stories. My favorite, about. well, my amazing story, which you'll have to tell in detail because I won't get it right, is basically involves ice cream and you flying out of a, a moving car. <laughs> That's my oh. favorite memory. Wow. That's so good. I was like six years old, and my mother took me to um, took me to Carvel ice cream, and I got a large strawberry milkshake. My mother owned a 1979 Chevy Caprice. It was silver with horrible red velvet interior, and the springs were broken in the back, so they were shooting through the seats. And if you sat on it, it would cut the bottom side of your, of your leg. Oh. So, so we'd always, and it was in the middle, so we'd always have to sit next to the doors so that you wouldn't get the springs in your legs. So I was sitting in the back of the car, and my mother's going down a hill, and she makes a left in this four-way intersection, and I'm leaning on the door, and the door wasn't locked, and this was before we were, we had seatbelts or had there were seatbelts but we didn't wear them yeah and uh as leading on the door the door pops wide open and i fell 
into the middle of the street and the milkshake spilled all over me. And obviously, you know, the cars, that, thank God, that were in the intersection had stopped and they all got out and they were like, are you okay? And I was, you know, kind of disheveled, like, where the hell am I? I didn't, I was in a car drinking a milkshake. Now I'm in the middle of the street and I don't know where my mother is. And so I look up and my mother's still driving down the street, talking, thinking she's talking to me in the back of the car. Oh my God. So uh, I stood up and um, I started to run down the street with strawberry milkshake all over me, screaming for my mother. And my mother, uh, my mother stops the car and I jump in the back and she's like, where the hell did you go? <laughs> and I was like, I fell out of the car. I lost my milkshake. I was like, I need a new milkshake. <laughs> and she's like, she wants to know if I broke my arm. I didn't give a shit. I wanted a new milkshake. This is all I wanted. I just kept crying saying I need a new milkshake. <clears throat> um, and my wonderful mother got me another milkshake. Nice. Nice. But that's not my favorite. Yeah, yeah. I mean... Man, I, I got, I mean, experiences with my mother or favorite, like, things that, like, she said. I mean, she's a gem of comedy. That, that is... Is she one of those folks that doesn't realize how funny they are? Like, they're just saying shit and it's just, that, like, uh, what was his name? From my, mother, my mother has no sense of humor. <laughs> she doesn't. No, she has no sense of humor. But she's the funniest person you've ever met. That's the best way to explain my mother. She, she doesn't understand satire or sarcasm. She doesn't really like pick up on like if you're joking or not. But the things that she'll say in the moment are so real and so like out of left field that, I mean, she's one of the funniest people I've ever met because of how she really feels about life and the comments that she makes about life. Um, I probably, probably the best. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I should tell the whole story, but, uh, why not? Because it's kind of long. I'll, 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 I'll tell the, the, ab- That's a, so let me ask you, <laughs> people say, you know, you have a two hour podcast. It's too long. You should make it shorter. Yeah. You should make it like a, 15-minute podcast, a half-an-hour podcast. People people shouldn't tell their opinions so much. <laughs> people should shut the fuck up more. Everyone thinks they're a fucking genius. Shut the fuck up. You do a podcast then. Everyone's got an opinion on something that somebody does that they don't do. That's what I realize. I'm a hater when I can't do something, right? Shut the fuck up. Got two hours, three hours, who gives a shit? So... Now you talk me into telling the story. There you go. I was, uh, I was 13 years old. My mother sent me to fat camp. And in the middle of fat camp, I got sent on a trip to go to Boston to go to an aquarium with the rest of the kids. As we're going to Boston, this, uh, this girl comes up to me and says, my friend Tina really likes you, right? Well, I had a girlfriend at the camp. And I was like, well, I got a girlfriend. And she's like, don't matter. She really likes you. So you should probably, you know, get with her. 
Well, this is my first experience with cheating. And my last, by the way, yeah. because I learned at a very young age oh how this all works. <laughs> so now are these other fat children or is this Well the greatest thing about Fat Camp back then was that the the guys were like sixty pounds overweight, but the girls were only like fifteen pounds overweight. And what? it's a lot harder for women to lose weight. True. There's a lot more water retention. True. But 15 pounds? Like... That's like a girl with a fat butt now. Yo. I mean, that's what... <laughs> I was like be... the fat Brad Pitt. <laughs> I had not... No one cared about me at my school. Right. I was just the dorky, fat drummer that no one cared about. As soon as I got to fat camp, now you're trapped for two months with a bunch of dudes that are like 100 pounds overweight... I was only like 40 pounds overweight. They were like, damn, he's... After three weeks, it was like slim pickings. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's not so bad, you know what I'm saying? Um, so anyway, on the ride back from Boston, this girl Tina sits next to me uh, and she starts to grab my dick in the back of the bus. I have never hooked up with a girl in my life, really. I mean, my girlfriend back at camp, we would, like, kiss, you know? I had no, like, experience with any type of, like, sexual interaction. Mm -hmm. So she pulls my pants down. She starts blowing me, right? <laughs> I'm in heaven. It's the greatest thing I've ever felt, right? This is amazing. I literally, like, had my, like, Sony cassette boombox, and I had taken... <laughs> I was afraid that everyone was going to see me. So I took like a little pillow and I put it on top of her back. And then I put the boom box on top of the pillow. And I was, I swear to God, I was playing punch jump up to get beat down. I swear to God. That was my first sexual experience. I had a fucking... So, this is a horrible... I don't want to tell this story. I can't tell this. This is horrible. One day when I was riding on the train, I seen these two kids talking. Yeah, about the Nubian rain has fallen. Oh, my God. What the hell was the name of the group? Uh... It's driving me crazy. Yeah. Lord Jamar. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's driving me crazy. Pumps the ball to get beat down. I don't remember the name of the group. Anyway, I remember the song. Yeah. So she blows me to completion. And I've, you know, orgasm like I've never orgasmed. And she gets up and goes and sits with her girlfriend to tell her, like, I just blew him. <laughs> You know, and like they were like giggling about it. And um, this girl, other girl comes over to me and she's like, did Tina just blow you? And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, no. And she was like, I just saw her give you head. That's bullshit. I'm telling your girlfriend, Lori, right? I was like, oh, man, you know, I'm screwed. Yeah. So the bus gets back to um, to the camp. And by the time I get off the fucking bus, everybody knows. Dude, when I tell you, high five there was 50, guys. <laughs> there was 50 people on the bus, 
And by the time it cleared out, because I was sitting in the back, everyone knew, right? And my girlfriend was standing there, and I had given her some, like, shitty, like, I made her, like, a dollar ring, you know? She was, like, taking it off. She's like, Tina Blue, you're on a bus! And, like, threw the ring and, like, ran away, right? Now, I'm the bad guy. All the girls fucking hate me. They're like, he's a cheater, scumbag. Which I was. Right. All the guys are like, you're the greatest human being that's, <laughs> that's ever lived. They're literally like, for real. Guys are like, yo, you got a blowjob! You know, like, amazing, right? So we go back to our bunks. The next day... We go down to the uh, cafeteria to eat. Guys sit on one side, girls sit on the other. All of a sudden, like, my girlfriend, like, had written some kind of cheer. Like, it was like, fat fuck! <laughs> uh, yo, I used my name, bro, guess what? But they were like, you're a fat fuck, you're a stupid schmuck, you got fat tits and you got no dick. You know, it was like... Something to the effect of that, you know? <laughs> Basically calling me out in front of the whole camp. <laughs> yeah. So this counselor comes over to me and is like, uh, hey, listen, I need you to come into the office real quick. We got to talk to you. So they bring me into the office and... Uh, <laughs> Wait, they got up and cheered. All the girls, like, they actually didn't you know, cheer. I swear to God. <laughs> they, they literally went home. Oh, sorry. They literally were like, you know, attention, camp, whatever, you know? And then stood up, and they were like, you're a fat son of a bitch, you know? like And just like went into the whole thing, right? And so, uh, so the counselor brings me in to the owner of the camp's office. And now there's two female counselors, two male counselors, the owner of the camp and me. And I'm sitting in front of the owner of the camp. And the owner of the camp's like, so how was the trip to Boston? And I'm like, oh, it was great. Uh, you know, everything went well and had a good time going to the aquarium. <laughs> and uh, she's like, why don't you tell me about the blowjob you got? So I was like, yo, fuck this. I'm not telling this old ass woman that I got a blowjob on the bus. I'm not going to admit to that. So I was like... I don't know what you're talking about. And so I just denied it. And she's like, go sit in this other room. So she brings me into this other office and sits me down. Now all of a sudden, Tina comes in. Well, Tina breaks down like they're fucking waterboarding her. <laughs> <laughs> she tells the whole story. Uh, you know, I went over to him. I took his pants down. I gave him a blowjob. And... Uh, you know, I'm sorry about it. So she brings me back and she's like, you're going to have to call your mother right now and tell her why you're going home. And I was like, okay. She's like, well, I can either call her and tell her or you can. I have a great relationship with my mother. You know, I grew up without a father and I'm 13 or 14 years old at this point And I have a good relationship with her. I do not want this stranger calling her and telling her. I'm like, I'll do it. And uh, so my mother's, this whole story is really for my mother's response to this whole mm -hmm. thing and what she said. So um, I call up my mother. She's like, how are you? And I'm like, 
I'm good, Ma. How are you? I was like, I got a bit of bad news I got to tell you. She's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, I'm getting kicked out of camp. And she's like, shut up. And now I've always been a wise ass, so she thought I was joking around. She's like, yeah, whatever. So how's it going? I'm like, no, 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 Ma, seriously. I was like, I'm really getting kicked out of camp. I need you to, uh, I need you to come get me. And she's like, for what? And I was like, I got a blowjob on a bus, Ma. And she goes, you couldn't wait to get off the fucking bus? <laughs> and I was like, that's so awesome. Like, my mother wasn't angry at me for getting the blowjob. My mother was angry that I couldn't wait to get off the bus to get the blowjob. Like, that was like, that was the, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it was good. like the most amazing response, right? So then she had to like come up to camp and pick me up. Oh, so you did get kicked out. So, so wait, so I, so she comes up and she picks me up. Now I had like all my shit. Like I brought my drums, mm -hmm. my fucking mountain bike. I literally, Your I would mountain bike. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Hold on for one second. Hello. How are you? From what? What? <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we had a little bit of a Interruption. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, you know, it's always nice when you have someone who fucking calls your wife's phone and fucking threatens that they're going to call the FCC because your wife's phone robocalled them. And then you have to fucking call Verizon and tell them you're going to break their fucking face if you don't figure this out. <laughs> I just, I couldn't hear the Verizon side of the conversation, but it's Oh, so sorry, uh, <laughs> we're going to do everything we possibly can to help you. There's going to be every, we're going to take you out for dinner, make sure that everything's all buttoned up so everything feels really good for you. Yeah, really, asshole, this fucking cocksucker who I don't fucking know just threatened my fucking life and you want to fucking take me out to dinner and make things all nice? Sir, I can understand why you're upset. No, you can't, dumb fuck. No, you, you, know, you don't understand a fucking thing about how I feel. Because I got fucking strangers calling my wife's fucking phone telling them that they're going to fucking come over and fucking report me and that, that he knows my wife's name and we got fucking problems. It's fucking bullshit. So we take this number we had for 20 years and we get a new phone number. That's fucking horrible, bro. I'm not going to be able to fucking remember that fucking number. I'm going to be dialing her old number over and over yep. and over. So, where were we? <laughs> you were finishing up a blowjob story with your mother. <laughs> oh my god, bro. Why are we fucking doing this? <laughs> All right. Uh, where was I? Was I in the office? Oh, they brought Tina in. 
I already told uh, my mother. Oh, your mom came this up. This sucks. You can't fucking break this story up. It can't. Yeah, that's what I told you. You almost have to, like, fucking start over. It's like, it's not a good story to tell from, like, in pieces. It's horrible. We were having such a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This fucking stinks now. It I'm stinks. all fucking. Yeah. I'm all riled up. Yeah. I need to go. I want to go fight someone. Jujitsu. <laughs> no kidding. Oh my god. All right. So, I'm trying to think how it actually finished off. Well, she came up to pick you up. Oh, so she came up to pick me up, and I spent four days at home, and she came down and she realized. She looked at me and she said, this is another funny thing. She had like this strange face on and I said, what's wrong? She said, you can't get kicked out of camp for receiving a blowjob. <laughs> I said, what? She said, you received something. You didn't do anything. She gave it to you. You didn't force her to do anything. She came over to you and she transmitted a blowjob onto you. <laughs> I said, okay. And then she picked up the phone and she calls the camp. And I remember she's like, I need to talk to the owner. And they were like, well, the owner's not here right now. She's like, well, I need to talk to her immediately. So the, the owner, Zelda, oh my God. calls back an hour later. It's a Jewish fat camp. Oh, it was a Jewish fat <laughs> was camp. Was it really? Yeah. Oh my it God. It was totally a Jewish fat camp. <laughs> it was absolutely a Jewish fat Excuse camp. Excuse me, Alain, is that your name? <laughs> yes, Alain, um, is that your tribal name or is that your real name? Uh, what do they call you in your tribe? <laughs> um, so, so It's a fat camp. But we're very, we're orthodox. We, we follow, we follow Shabbat. <laughs> they really did. Oh my God. So, um. Sends down. What are you doing? Get what? out of your electronics. Seriously. Hold on. This podcast is brought to you by Essentia. Overachieving H2O. 9.5 pH or higher, ionized hydration, purified water, electrolytes for taste. Oh, hold on. Have you ever... <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be pausing again. Just... I've been pausing it. Cool. <laughs> Uh, and... <laughs> and we're back. This is going to test the limits of... Uh, what? <laughs> this is a test of my production skills. This is really going to test my production skills. Holy my post-production skills. shit, dog. You're going to be editing like an animal. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, party people. I apologize. We've had a... My wife's phone number has just been changed. <laughs> Dude, my, my wife's phone number got stolen by some entity and started using her phone number to robocall all these people. 
And now my wife is getting called by people that she doesn't know, threatening her that they're going to call the FCC and the police on her if they don't stop, if she doesn't stop calling. But she hasn't called a fucking person. It's this fucking robot. Yo, listen to what I'm telling you, people. Kill all the robots right now. <laughs> listen to what I'm telling you. Kill all the fucking robots. We're in deep shit. Kill your robot. That's my campaign. I'm running for president. So fucking... Um, so Zelda. So Zelda gets on the phone with my mother. And my mother somehow talks her into bringing me back to camp four days later. She, she states her claim like, you know, he received a blowjob that a woman transmitted. <laughs> He did not transmit anything to her. It's like a so it was like, episode. it was literally, she was saying that like, you know, I was the victim of a blowjob. <laughs> like literally her argument was my son was blown, which was true, but she utilized it as like a bargaining chip to get me back into camp. Her whole thing was she had spent thousands of dollars for me to go to camp. True. She was losing this money and my annoying uh, You're there now. I'm now at, at home. She was going to enjoy the summer by herself. And now her annoying son is annoying her at home. Get him the fuck back to camp so we don't have to deal with him, right? So four days later, I pack my shit and drive back two and a half hours to upstate New York to this camp. I was greeted like a fucking prisoner of war. <laughs> the fucking camp was waiting, bro. Like, I'm not even kidding you. Like, some of the counselors must have found out that I was coming back. And then, like, yo, he's coming back. And fucking, they were waiting at the gate. I pulled up. I could hear people cheering. I was, like, literally, I, I got brought back from the dead. Oh. It was like the kids were like, he got blown and kicked out of camp. And he's coming back? Because the girl wasn't coming back. She got kicked out, too. Oh, she did? Yeah, man. Oh, she, you know, she didn't have my mother. <laughs> <laughs> my mother talked me back into camp. Bro, I got back into camp, and I it was like there were girls lining up to blow me. It was, I never, ever in my entire life got blown the way that I got blown that summer. It was like a competition for the girls. They're like, did you blow them yet? No? Oh, well, I'm, I'm going to do that tonight. It was crazy. I should just go back there now to just relive it. Oh, my God. That's a true story, by the way. That's like, there's no over-exaggeration of oh, any of that. So that, that really happened. Was that the only year you went? Yo, true story, and, I'm not going to lie. Like, yeah. I have two other stories I could tell about that camp. I want to hear One them. would be... I want to hear them before we, we can get interrupted again. But before a robot fucking yeah. offs us. Before the before fucking drone comes and fucking shoots us down. This guy shows up and tries to fucking harass my wife. Holy Christ. I'm so fucking panicked out right now, bro. I, I swear to God. I'm like, I know. I'm ready to fucking go. Um, so I actually got kicked out twice 
that summer. Uh, I uh, I was playing. <laughs> this is horrible. I I hate this. I literally <laughs> hate this. This is like literally ask me about all the things I did in my childhood that were horrible. I just asked what your favorite memory of your mother was. Actually, well, I've done horrible things, <laughs> and so like all my experiences have to do with like my mother like getting me out of them. Um. I was playing Manhunt at the end of the summer. It was like literally three days left of camp. And this was after I got thrown out for oh, a blowjob and got brought back. This one kid was like, he was just like, oh. So to preface it, me and my boy Bobby realized there was a McDonald's a mile away from the fat camp. And so we decided to jump the fence one night with a hockey duffel bag dressed in black. And we jogged a mile down the road, which takes a long time for two fat Jews. It probably was like a half hour, you know. And we, we got to the McDonald's. It was a Saturday night so that the drive through was only open. And um, <laughs> So you walked into the drive through So... To the window. You walked to the window. Well, there was like, it was upstate New York, so there's like five pickup trucks in the drive-thru, and they were all obviously hammered on a Saturday night waiting to get hamburgers. And then there's these two fat Jewish kids standing in line where the fucking pickup trucks were waiting to order. And they must have been like, what the fuck are these kids doing, you know? So um, I got up to the drive-thru window... And I asked the lady, I was 13, you know, so I was an absolute moron. I was like, uh, how many hamburgers do you have on the grill? <laughs> and she, <laughs> she was like, what? What are you talking about? And I was like, how many burgers do you have? And she was like, I don't know, 46 or something, you know, or 50 burgers. And I was like, put cheese on half of them and I'll take the other half regular. I'll take them all. Oh, my goodness. So I bought every hamburger they had on the grill, every cheeseburger, and we put them in our duffel bags. Me and Bobby took, like, you know, a couple of them and, like, scoffed them down, right? And we jogged back to the camp. Now, the the bunks (coughs) had these, like, trap doors in the floor so that, like, if there was a fire... Oh, you could go down. Yeah, you would open up this trap door and go out, and that was, like, the fire escape. So... We told all the kids, like, around 1.30 in the morning, we're coming through, right? Don't you know these fat motherfuckers were sitting on their beds with the flashlights shining at the fucking trap door, waiting for it to pop open. Redemption. So we popped it open, and we sold burgers for $10 a pop. (gasps) This was 1991. We were geeing off, dude. It was crazy. We bought burgers for a buck and we sold them for 10. So three weeks into doing this, we did this every week. Every Saturday, we would go and get hamburgers. Yo, kids were like, you have to understand, they only fed us 1,200 calories a day. So so we would get 400, 400, 400. It was... You proportioned to the trays that they gave us, and it's all you got. And then you had to exercise. 
So you were probably burning like, I mean, I literally lost 60 pounds in two months. Oh, like, yeah. I'm not even kidding you. Oh, wow. It was crazy, you know? Like, we would lose. So this is going into your freshman year, right? You said 13. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so kids were starving at night. <laughs> so we started bringing hamburgers in, and guys would, like, literally, like, you know, squirrel away two hamburgers during the week, eat them cold, you know, when they were hungry. You know, some guys would buy, like, five of them because their families had money. You know, oh my God. well, three weeks went by and the nutritionist at the at the camp was weighing everyone in. All the chicks were losing weight. And like my bunk and this other bunk was gaining weight <laughs> and they could not figure it out. They called the food supplier. They thought that the food supplier was putting too much sodium in the food. Oh. They they talked to the chef down at the. You know, they wanted to know how he was cooking everything. It was like an investigation. Meanwhile, me and fucking Bobby were jogging down to McDonald's and getting 100 hamburgers and stuffing these kids' faces. Caked out. Yeah. I I swear to God, I went went to camp with like $50 in my pocket. And me and Bobby left with like 600. (laughs) It was crazy. It was crazy. Maybe even more. I don't even... We had like... I had a stack. I had like almost $1,000 probably, you know, to be honest, you know. It was more than $600. It was crazy. We just kept selling burgers. We never got caught. But this kid knew about us, right? And he threatened me and was like, I'm going to go to the head counselor. I want to tell him that you're selling burgers. Did he want to cut? Is that what? Nah, he was just a dick, man. He was just like a fucking, he was that kid that like, he was a tattletale, you know, he was just a tattletale. So we were playing Manhunt, right? There's three days before the the camp's over. That's the fucking greatest game ever made in the woods. Manhunt. Love it. The best. I'll play it today. I'll 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 stop this podcast right now. (laughs) I'll go play with you. I'm dead serious. I will Amazing. literally go run in the backyard Amazing. right now. Amazing. It's great. You can play it in the house. You can play it outside. You can play it in the woods. Yeah. The best. Yeah. You just need to call some object as jail. Right. And then, yeah. and you know, the, here's, what the, boundary here's the perimeter. Is. Yeah. 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 So this, this kid didn't like to stay in jail. He would get caught, go to jail, and then run out and play. And for those of you who don't know what Manhunt is... It's basically tag your it right. with jail. So I knew this kid was trying to tell on us that day. He had come up to us in the morning and said, I know you and Bobby are get, getting hamburgers for everyone. And we were like, well, do you want one? And he was like, no. He's like, you guys got to stop doing it. It's not good. You know, he was one of these kids. And we were like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> So he didn't necessarily be like, you know, I'm going to tattle, but it was pretty apparent that he was going to tell someone. So in my head, I was paranoid that he was definitely telling someone, you know. And, uh, and so the next time we caught him playing manhunt, he decided to run out of jail. I told Bobby to go grab the duct tape because we were on like the stage where they had all like um, the productions, you know. Uh, for like, you know, uh, musical theater mm-hmm. and the plays. So there was all this like construction material and shit. And so 
there was like all these rolls of duct tape right next to where the jail was, and that's where the jail was for our manhunt game. Oh, yeah. So I was like, yo, grab that duct tape, right? And I grabbed the kid, and I put him on the bench, and Bobby duct taped him to the bench, right? With the game, we went and kept playing the game, and then the game ended, and then we didn't realize that we left him there. I, maybe we did. I don't know if we like purposely left him there or not. I don't remember, but we left him there, and uh, and like an hour later, over over the PA system, I hear, you know, my name being called. Yeah, and, and Bobby. Uh, and uh, no, oh, no, I, I it was just me. Yeah. And uh, I got brought into to the head counselor's office, and she was like, "This kid had a heart problem." Oh boy. And you tied him and duct taped him to a bench. And so instead of being, you know, sorry, apologetic <laughs> about the situation, <laughs> my argument was is that I didn't get any medical records <laughs> beforehand to know if he had any medical issues. So how was I supposed to know if this kid had a fucking heart problem or not because I don't know what his medical records were. That argument did not stand up in a court of law, nor did it stand up with this woman who was much more intelligent than I was. And I ended up having to call my mother a second time to come pick me up from camp. So I didn't get busted for the hamburger sales, but I got busted for tying this kid up. And if I never tied him up, I would have gotten out of camp because it was three days three before days camp left. was over. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Two days later, the guy's still stuck with a bench. It wasn't that bad. It was, I, I think she said that like we left him there for an hour. Yeah. I mean, other people must have been in jail and stuff. So yeah. somebody else let him out. Exactly. Bobby, I wonder what that kid's doing today. Making $10 million. <laughs> that kid was slick, bro. Was he? Bobby Schwartz, man. Oh, Schwartz. That's My funny. man was killing the game. <laughs> Smart dude. He's either dead or making 10 mil. One or the other. Oh, man. I don't have anything else to talk about. That's <laughs> it? I'm fucking with you. Me neither. Uh, I actually want to know about the first time you played the drums. And what that was like. I don't really remember the first time I played the drums. The first time I actually was like interested in the drums was when I was very young, I would pull all the pots and pans out of the cabinets and I would just take spoons to make noise. And so my mother recognized that like I enjoyed, you know, making noise and rhythm. Oh. Um, and then... And then, you know, later on, much later on, I, I started playing the drums. The first time I played the, the drum set was uh, years later when I was like 10. And oh, was, I didn't realize I, you were that old. Yeah, it was after my dad died I started oh. playing the drums. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't, well, I didn't realize he died before you were 10. Yeah, he died when I was... Because everybody, all, okay, all my friends remember nine. the day. All my, they were like playing soccer on Flood's Hill and stuff. Yeah, that, people remember that day. 
The day that my dad died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. So I didn't realize you were that young. I thought you guys were, you were older. 84. Wow. Yeah, eight. So, yeah, I didn't start playing drums until I was 10. Mm. But the angst of my father dying uh, with the ability to hit something and make a loud noise really connected with me. Mm. It was... Instantly? Yeah, because I needed an emotional outlet, and I didn't understand how I was feeling, and I couldn't reconcile his death. So beating things up and making noise really, it immediately connected with me. Mm. I was like, oh, this is, this is what I need. Wow. My sister, who, the one who's an actor, was saying the same thing about, you know, she didn't know what she wanted to do, didn't know what she wanted to do. She went to therapy, and the therapist was like, well, what did you want to do when you were little? And she said, oh, I wanted to act. She's like, oh, you should take an acting class. She's like, ah, I don't know. She said within like two minutes of being in the class, she was like, fuck, this is it. Mm. Wow, this is the thing. This mm -hmm. is the thing. Wow. So the first two seconds of you playing, you're like, ah, all right. Yeah, immediately. That's immediately. Great. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Immediately, it, it, it connected with me. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't on a musical level. Ah, uh, it was emotional. It was emotional. Oh. And not till years later, until a friend said something to me about how I was playing, uh, did I recognize that I needed to listen to the music more than my emotions. Because emotion is no friend. When you're, when you're, or negative emotion is no oh, friend. I see. When you're playing with other people. I see. You have to like check that, just like anything. You know, when you're in a team sport, you gotta like, you gotta hide your crazy and control that, right? It's like you can, emotion can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing. So not till years later did I realize the drums had become an emotional outlet for me rather than just a musical instrument, you know? Mm-hmm. You said Hydra crazy. You always say that. It's such a great, it's such a great phrase. Yeah, um, you gotta, you gotta hide your crazy, man. man. I'm not good at it. There's a lot of people that are not good at it. And then on the flip side, maybe there are people that are very good at it, and you have no clue. Like they're just barely keeping it together. For sure. You know. Yeah, like the guy standing across from me right now. <laughs> <laughs> That's more hide your anger. <laughs> oh man, I could have used a little. It's by bit Milton of... Bradley. <laughs> <laughs> hide <Okay>. your anger. <laughs> I gotta use a lot of that in my childhood, man. A little bit more hide your crazy from uh, from our folks. Jesus fucking Christ. Um. Oh man, there's drums. See, I know you. I know you from childhood. Because we were in band class together, and I played the trumpet and you played the drums, but I also know you from playing ball in uh, the park. So, like, when was the first time you played ball? Oh, wow. Uh, the first time I ever played basketball was probably, probably not until, like, ninth grade. Mm -hmm. I don't think I played until high school. Me neither. Yeah, I didn't really play basketball. And then... Wow, so you got good quick. Yeah, I loved it. That was another thing. 
Mm. You know, it was like... What was it about it, though? You know what? Uh, the competition I enjoyed. I love the fact that you could you could compete with another guy and 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 do something that uh, by yourself without having to. You didn't need a teacher mm. to accept you or your parents to accept. You could go down to the park and. You could just battle it out, you know? Yeah, I loved it. I literally played basketball, like you know. All the time. Yeah, for four years, man. All I, the time. I literally played basketball for four years and then never played ever again. <laughs> like I was like the greatest street baller. Like, like people would look at me and be like, oh, this fat. Like I used to get picked last. Of course. Every game. Of course. And I would come in and I would fuck dudes up. Like I would just, I would... I had a crossover. Yep. I could drive. Like I didn't have hops, but I had balls, man. Body, I body. would just throw my body into you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I had an ill reverse. Yeah. I could like, you know. And it was, it. I think it was the first time I did something physical, and I and I saw myself getting better at it, and it made me want to get better. Mm. It it pushed me to. To, to become better at something. Um, and I love that feeling of being able to look, because I'm not, I'm not good at learning through reading. And I'm not, I'm not book smart. But if I can watch somebody do something, I can emulate it. Yeah, same. You know, that's why I was good at the drums, because I could watch someone play them and figure out, oh, okay, this is how you're supposed to do it. You can tell me all day, but if I experience something, then I would absorb it, mm. you know? Yeah, for me, it was uh, the, the team aspect of it because I played tennis my whole life. So that's like an individual sport. You're out there, you're by yourself. And in some ways, it's great. If you win, it's all on you. But if you lose, it's all on you. Like yes. everything is all on you. See, that's why I like playing street ball versus organized basketball. I had friends that were on the team but it's such a different oh, yeah. feeling. Like when you played street ball, it was almost like a, a, it almost felt like you're playing tennis because you're by yourself. True. Even if you you know you don't know the guys that you picked up, mm -hmm. you, you know you have no camaraderie with them. <laughs> it's just true. those kids came down to the to the court that day, you know. Uh, and I was horrible at being a team player, but if you gave me the rock, I was going to score, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. It's so funny doing this with you, like. Like normally when we talk, like our conversations flow, but I I keep trying to like stop the conversation so that we can end the podcast. <laughs> I'm like, trying, I'm like, I keep I realize that like all my statements that I'm making to you, I feel and like you. I, feel you like, I literally feel like I'm on, I'm like at my probation officer <laughs> and like I'm just answering questions to get the uh, fuck out of the office. Okay, so let's flip it then. All you right, ask, you asked me a question. When is this podcast over? <laughs> a shotgun <laughs> five minutes and yes oh man uh. <laughs>
<laughs> I feel like I've known you so long. Yeah. That like any question that I've asked you. You know the answer already. Yeah. So for me, it's like, I feel like this is, I feel like this is um, an awesome journey that you're taking on and you are utilizing the skills that you have in talking to people and um, and giving back to something that you're really great at, which is connecting with people. And for me, um, I'm constantly trying to disconnect. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, I know how to connect, but deep down inside, I am turning away running a hundred miles from whatever is scaring me at that moment. Um, So just, it's great to see that, that you are involved so deeply in this. I just am fucking saved by the bell. (laughs) Yeah, baby. (laughs) Jimbo slice. Nah, keep recording. You want to get up in like an hour and a half or something? Like one thirty? Um, I'm actually going to be around back, I'll be back around. I got to go do shit with my wife today, but I'll be back around around like 5. I could be at your house exactly 6 o'clock. Anyway, I just think it's... I don't know where the fuck we're going. Well, basically, you and I are kind of built the same. If I really had my druthers, I would probably disappear, you know? I would probably go somewhere and... Uh, for me, you know, people hate being alone. It to me, it's like the most wonderful thing in the world. Right. To just sit somewhere, and you know, my wife will will take the she would like take the children and go visit her parents, and then she comes back and she said, "Well, what did you do?" I said, well, "You know, I just kind of I sat there." <laughs> and Yo, I looked at for the real, wall. I could fuck people are like. I could fucking retire right now. <laughs> yeah. For real. Likewise. I don't give a. Fuck! I would retire right now and find everything to do all day long for the rest of my life without seeing a fucking soul. I could build a house, I'd play the drums, I'd mm-hmm. chill the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. Same. yeah. Same. But it's Same. nice to see that you're you're facing your fear and tackling something that you're great at and that you enjoy that's the key is to do something that makes you happy right and that's for me it's great to watch you do this it's the only reason why i'm sitting here in front of you is because that you enjoy this you like to see me squirm (laughs) you enjoy seeing the guy who is no i told my sister about this it's not that it's about in the end, it all uh, in the end, it all comes down to love, and it's it's uh, my love of the people around me, and my desire to share that with other people. Mm. That's what it's all about. Word, and you have a lot of interesting people that are around you that mm-hmm. have amazing stories. Exactly. Exactly. It's just a matter of getting them to. <laughs> <laughs> You'll get talk. it out. You'll get it out. We're gonna have to have like five podcasts yeah. to actually get oh, I mean, the whole. Like my story is, 
Way too intricate and way too long to agreed. Agreed. To get going. And it's it, it's not always about that. Sometimes we could talk about jujitsu and the MMA and the UFC. Hell yeah. Oh my god. Oh the my fights god. Fights that went down. <laughs> what is what do you think of that fight? The the last card. We had all these great fights. Um what's Yo, his name? you Derek saw Derek Lewis. Lewis's fight in Cormier? No. November 3rd, he's going for the belt. Whoa. They gave him the belt over Stipe, man, the chance. I think that's kind of funny, but I got to be honest with you. like They like personalities. Yep. They know where the money is. I know, and I, I got to be honest with you. that it's, my, it's what I love to see as a spectator. I love to see the drama unfold. As someone who loves martial arts... I hate to see that. Yes. So for me, it's a dichotomy because I feel like everything that we do in martial arts is to humble ourselves um, and become grateful and learn to respect each other, even though you're trying to kill each other. The martial arts brings you to a place where you respect the person across from you, even though you're trying to kill each other. Mm-hmm. What they do is they find the personalities that are going to bring out that drama within the respect. Um, and I don't know, bro. It, three million, three million pay-per-view buys. Two point four million. Was it two point four? Yeah, they broke a record. Damn. I don't know. Times sixty dollars. What is that? 200 million, basically. That's a lot of scratch. That's why Dana White can go and bet six mil. <laughs> exactly. A oh, night. Uh, so, yeah, Derek Lewis. No, I, I thought all the fights were amazing. Even the last one? The McGregor. Uh, I think McGregor was taken out of his game, man. Yeah. I think, he, I think he's been out a little too long. I think. You really think that mattered, though? I mean, compare. I mean, look how we did against Nate Diaz. I gotta be honest with you. I've been playing the drums for thirty years, and if I don't play for uh, do a gig for four months and then I do a gig, the the ability to play that gig as smooth as I would have played four months before when I was just playing consistently, it it I'm a little rusty. Uh There's a difference in being in rehearsal mode and then in performance mode. And if you haven't performed a lot and you put yourself in that performance mode, you start to forget the mindset that you need to be in to perform. And he just, his swag and his confidence, it was broken. He knew that he went in with the mindset of trying not to lose versus I'm going to win. And when you go into a fight thinking, I'm just going to try and not lose, you're going to lose. You know? And so he went, you know, where were your hands behind your back taunting? Like, you know, why yeah. didn't you go into it with yeah, the arrogance that you you face every fight with? So it was like, for me, I was like, I was a little bit discouraged at how he, how he stepped to Khabib because, or Habib. Because he brought him, 
you know, this like angry Irish guy. And then when he showed up in the ring, it was like, hey, man, it's just business. It's just we're business. just yeah. we're just having fun. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, motherfucker. Yeah, he was like, this let's is, talk. You want to talk? You want to talk, talk shit? Yeah. I'm going to break your jaw and yeah. choke your chin out. You know, oh. I heard someone say the other day. A grappler has a puncher's chance, but a but a a boxer and puncher never has a grappler's chance. Right, that's so true. You know, because like instinctively, you know how to throw a right hand. Mm -hmm. You're and he you're, caught him too. Yeah, and even Still if you're not a professional fighter, if you take a bunch of guys that don't train mm -hmm. and you get into a physical altercation. Your first instinct is to throw hands and to punch, right? So you know how to do that. Now, when you get on the ground, you can intellectualize what you're doing and you can say to yourself, oh, I think my body should move this way to get out of the situation. But it doesn't work like that, man. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work like that. You have to like train your body to move in specific ways and to protect yourself in certain ways. And if you don't do that shit over and over and over again, then you will not have a chance, dude. Yeah. It's a different ball game when you're on the ground. It just is. Like your body has to move differently. You have to understand what their body's doing. You have to understand. And I, that's not taking, listen, I'm not taking anything away from from boxing or taekwondo yeah. or karate those are legitimate arts and they have their own art form and their own disciplines mm -hmm. that you know that come along with yeah, that and a time and a place too yeah. where it works yeah yeah jujitsu with like you especially with the ground too pressing up against you nowhere to run you know that's so Especially on, when you're in, in top position is one thing, but when you're on, on your back, that's it. If you don't know what you're doing. That's the thing is like you, you, if you don't train off your back, even I know some jujitsu guys that wrestled and they have, they don't feel comfortable on their back because their whole life, you know. On top. Yeah. And wrestling is amazing too, man. Honestly, if you're a wrestler and you start jujitsu, you are going to be... Steps ahead. Oh, right? man. Just the strength and the endurance. Dude, I was rolling with a guy a couple of nights ago who's the same level as me, and he was unreal. Uh, his top pressure was insane because he had wrestled through high school and college. Mm -hmm. He just had that knowledge. But fighting off your back is a different game. You have to literally train fighting off your back because you can't just stay on your back and be like, oh, this is what I'm going to do. There's specific things that you go through and specific routines that you have to and specific uh, positions that you have to get into bad situations, you know, like I need you to pull my arm as hard as you can for me to figure out how I can get that arm out. And as a, as a training partner, if you're being lackadaisical and not pulling that arm and not really trying to hurt me. Um, it's hard for me to learn those escapes, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a different ball game, man. You know, like when Khabib got on top of Connor, you could see immediately. Like I had a friend call me like, I didn't pay for a grappling match. Well, then don't watch mixed martial yeah. arts, stupid. Yep. Because guess what? 
There's some guys that are so good at wrestling, so good at sambo, so good at jujitsu that judo, when they yeah. they have a, a judo, when they have a chance to utilize that, they're going to utilize it. Because mm-hmm. you're stopping that kinetic energy. And that's what people don't like. They don't want to see somebody stopping the fight. Right. But that's what jujitsu is. It's voiding out all that kinetic energy that you're utilizing to move forward and then turning it against yourself and you don't even know that it's getting turned against you, yeah. you know? But quite honestly, the reason why jujitsu and wrestling is so effective is because it stops the kinetic energy of a punch. That's a good point. You know, so you have all this forward motion, but once you stop that, now your weapons are taken away. And, there's, and that's why jujitsu is so powerful, because you stop all of that. And then, and then once you get someone down and you've stopped that kinetic energy and there's no punches coming and you wrap someone up. Deep water. Deep water. Oh. You know? And then, and then you get someone who's like, you know, at the level Top of, of the food. Yeah, you, you know, you start getting some guys that are like brown and black belts. It doesn't matter if you've been training seven years or not. You get a brown belt on top of you who understands exactly what you're going to do, when you're going to do it. It's a wrap, homie. He's going to systematically close down each one of your moves until you have no more moves to present. Mm. It really is chess with your body. You move one way, he moves another. You move this way, he moves another. Oh, it is like that. Like you, you are, you are, you are closing down the options like a master. That's what he's exactly. doing to you. You have ten options, then it's exactly. nine, eight. Oh. At least that's. I mean, listen. Yeah, this yeah. is coming from. Me, who's analyzed it for only doing it a year and a half, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm young in the game. But my analyzation of what the, the guys that I train with who are really, really, really high level jujitsu players, it's, it's to me, it feels like they, they recognize what you are doing. They see where you're moving and they lessen your options. Mm. They start to take away your weapons. And you start to realize like, oh, well, these three things I've been trying, it's not working. Now I have to utilize these weapons. That I'm not as good at. Exactly. And they're gonna put you to that side that you're not as good at. They're Mm. gonna put you into a position where, where your weak side is being used instead of your strong side. They're going to like recognize that your hips are moving to the left. They're going to beat you to that point before you even get there. They know you're going to that spot before you know that you're going to that spot because you're trying to put them into something and they know to get them into that position, they need, you need to move this way. And now they're going to void you out by going the opposite way. Oh God, it's like some guys you roll with it, it literally feels like um, you're being held underwater. Oh my God. For five minutes, it literally feels like um, you're helpless. People have a fucking distort, a distorted idea of what they are physically and mentally capable of. A distorted idea. I'll talk to friends about, yo, I'll show up to your school and I'll freak out, bro. <laughs> Dog, you'll freak out and be put to sleep. You, you don't even understand. You, you've never 
never been put into a position where your life is now being taken away. And if you don't let the person know that you are tapping or you're, you're giving up, your life is done. <laughs> so true. if you have not been put in that position, your freak out isn't going to help. Your muscles are not going to help you. You can go to the gym for 10 years. You can lift 500 pounds. Yo, I will bring you a man who is 140 pounds. Like Go on a mat. Years old. Do whatever you want to yep. him, bro. Bring a baseball bat. He's going to wrap that shit around your neck and call it a day. <laughs> Dude, I'm 260. I get fucking killed by guys who are 150 pounds. Killed. Wow. Handled, bro. Like, I look like I'm a fucking... Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I'm blind. You know, and I'm in the water drowning for real. That's how heavy it is. And then you go and do it over and over and over. To the point where I have a problem. I should probably go to a, 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 a therapist. <laughs> I'm a therapist for my jujitsu problem. I train Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, two oh a days. God. Two a days? Each this day? Week. I'm 42, 260 pounds. I did nine hours of jujitsu this week. I feel like someone took a fucking dump truck and rolled over me. Oh my God. It's 12.20. We got to cut it. <laughs> I got to get back to work. That's what's up, money. You have any uh, final words for the folks or anything that you would like to promote? Um, I got nothing I would like to promote. Mm -hmm. I had a great time yes. uh, talking with you, and uh, I hope we can do it again where there's no interruptions. Right Quite now. honestly, this is a little bit rocky because we... Uh, we'll edit it out. We'll trim it down. <laughs> my wife was being uh, fucking accosted by some stranger on her phone, and it uh, threw me for a loop. But, man, I just... Um, it's good. Again, I just want to say it's good to see that you're doing this. I think that this is like something that you're you're going to be great at and i think you should keep doing this because it gives you um it gives you a whole feeling of solace when you when you talk to people and you find out their story and you spread the word of uh al d yeah I like no I like how you're bringing it, bro. Yeah, like and you I said, appreciate, well, I appreciate you. You're the reason re you're the reason why I'm doing this because it was like two years ago. You said to me, you know, you're the only guy that can walk up to an, a 90 year old Jewish woman, and the second question you ask her is, so how did it feel to see your your parents getting walked to the ovens in Auschwitz? And then she actually answers that question, no problem. Because you have an ability, you have a genuine curiosity for people. Like a genuine curiosity. Like I could, literally you and me are so fucking opposite, bro. <laughs> like I could give a fuck about that person next to me. And it's horrible, but it's true. Yeah. You have this genuine curiosity for people and it comes out like you. So, so anything like, yo, profits chase your passion. You, yep. So that's where success comes from is being passionate about something. And for me, it's like watching you talk to people, you're passionate about it. 
And I just think that that's going to create some kind of, whether it's not financial profit or it's mental profit or mm. it's, you know, psychological for you, whatever it is, you're going to gain something because you're so passionate and you're so curious about people, you know? I mean, quite honestly, what you should do is call your boss, tell him to go fuck himself and start this podcast and start jumping it off, get the cameras going, YouTube it, fucking Joe Rogan style. We'll you get know? there. We'll get there. You got to get guests that, <laughs> that can commit. That's the first issue. I know. It's You're, tough. It's tough. Because I'm not Joe Rogan. So people are like, who are you? <laughs> There's so many interesting stories I want to share that I've just heard over the past few years. And I'm like, you know what? You've got to share this story. It's just a matter of getting these people, you know, it's, it takes a bit of courage to come on. For some people, other people like to hear themselves speak. But I feel like next time you have to like have like a slew of questions to keep me on track because I'm so ADHD that nah, I fly off. That's it. what makes it beautiful. People really? Get, yeah, people get to know the real you. You're not a structure person. We don't need to, oh, I tried a little bit to kind of get things flowing for you because I know how uncomfortable you are. <laughs> the most uncomfortable <laughs> man in the world. <laughs> and on that note, thank you very much, everybody. We'll check you soon. Peace. Hey, gee, your mother.